0: to another episode of the Compass Equip Podcast. I'm Hayden, and joined with me is your other host, Evan. Hi. And at Compass Bible Church, we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ by reaching people for Christ, teaching people to be like Christ, and training people to serve Christ. And everything we do here at Compass, including this podcast, is to fulfill the mission of reaching, teaching, and training. Well, my first week back in the pulpit was uh, quite a uh, quite a sermon talking about lust and adultery in our series, Summer on the Mount. Welcome back. Thanks. I'm glad to be back. And we are now in the text Matthew five twenty seven
1: through thirty. Pastor Evan, would you like to read that for us? Yes, I will. Matthew tw- Matthew five twenty seven to thirty. You have heard that it was said, "You shall not commit adultery." But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell, and if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell all right, well, such a violent and uh um hard text, yeah absolutely, what's the point? The point for us
0: as Christians is to understand, as Jesus makes very clear in this text, is that your struggle with lust will often require the spirit-empowered employment of extreme measures that are well worth the sacrifice and energy you expend to kill your sin. And this came to us in three teaching points. Number one, we need to increase our sensitivity towards the prevalence of adultery. We need to not give that L-shaped amen and say it's everyone else's problem. It's it's our problem, right? I mean, we all— or we struggle with this in different times of our life and different perspectives with the realities. We're all guilty, and this is something, according to the statistics in the sermon, that are pervasive. And so we need to increase our sensitivity towards that prevalence by uh, not diminishing the realities of it, but hitting them head on, which is what expository preaching leads us to do, is to never look over anything that needs to be addressed directly, and here we are. So I hope the sermon increases your sensitivity towards the prevalence of adultery. Secondly, we need to trust in Christ as our only solution for purity. This is important for the non-Christian to understand that that's that's in part Christ's salvific work on the cross was to purify a people for himself and uh, even as Christians to recognize that we are only going to conquer lust and adultery even in our own hearts by leaning on Christ, empowering us through his spirit to live in purity through the new heart that he has given us. And thirdly, we need to employ extreme measures to deal with lust. We have to be practical warriors when it comes to dealing with sin in our lives. And that means sometimes we got to do things that other people might think strange. Uh, it doesn't mean that we mutilate ourselves because Jesus is using hyperbole uh, when it comes to that. But in the same way, he is saying that you need to employ st- extreme measures to deal with the extreme issues that we have in lust and Adultery, And I love that, uh, the idea, even in the sermon I talked about it, of you need to understand that Jesus is actually saying that it is better to live in a suboptimal way on earth than living in sin here and spending eternity in hell. And so that suboptimal way for us may look different. It may mean we don't have internet at our home. It may mean I don't have an iPhone. Uh, it may mean a lot of things. But what it means is I'm willing to employ the right measures to deal with my sin.
1: And to kind of comment on that, it's such a beautiful benefit because we get to display who Christ is to other people. I can still remember a moment where I was uh, meeting up some old friends from high school that, that aren't Christians, and one of them was trying really hard to help have me watch some video of some gal doing something provocative and I wouldn't look at the screen. I looked them in the eyes. I'm like, would you? You need to put that away. I'm not looking at this. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it's weird to them. Absolutely. But at the same time, it shows no. I uh, th- this God is real, and He's He's changed my heart, and He's mm. changed yours. Absolutely. And it was really cool. I was actually able to witness to my other friend, and this was several years ago. But back to the sermon. Point one: Increase your sensitivity toward the pre- uh, prevalence mm-hmm. of adultery. How do we justify or recategorize our personal sexual sin? Well, in our
0: Life Group Leader podcast, I used examples of, uh, number one, if we think about justifying or recategorizing our sin, it's like, well, as long as I didn't do the physical act of adultery, I didn't really do anything wrong because it was all in my brain. And, of course, no one knows that. But, you know, the same people who may say that may also say, well, God knows my heart. Well, it's like, if God knows your heart and you have lustful intents in your mind that you don't act out, you recognize that that means that God knows that you still have Committed adultery in your heart and in your mind. That's a one way we like to justify it. Uh, other ways that we like to justify and recategorize personal sexual sin is when people are dating and they say, mm-hmm. well, we're going to get married. You know, you know, it doesn't matter because we're going to get married anyway. It's, they're not going to commit adultery because they're not going to sleep with anybody but me. It's like, no, that's, that's, still, that's still adultery. Uh, and then there's a lot of different ways that
1: we justify these things. Well, I wasn't even thinking about, oh, I haven't committed the physical act. Okay, some people might be able to legitimately say, oh, I haven't looked at pornography. I am one of the 20% of people that hasn't mm. type of thing. I've never looked at it. I never. I don't go on social media mm-hmm. and, and look at you know, other people in, mm-hmm. in that type of way. However, we still have it in our hearts when we look or gaze or we think or dream of when we think of someone else. Yeah,
0: no, that, That's that is a true statement as well. Um.
1: Uh, yeah,
0: and, and I think another way that, you know, I mean, I think the hyper-grace thought is like, well, if I do sexual sins, God forgives me anyway. It's like, but that's not what the Bible teaches. Like, you are forgiven, but the problem is, is why is the propensity of your heart to run in sin and not run in righteousness? Mm-hmm. And, you know, we believe that if you're in biblical community— at a Bible-teaching church with the Holy Spirit, you're going to have a very difficult time ever running for any distance in sin if you have a regenerate heart. And uh, so we, we're just going to demolish this idea that we should justify or recategorize personal sexual sin. What we need to understand is it is a issue that is all-encompassing in all of our society. And for us to say other people deal with it and we don't, which for some people it, in some way, you, you're in a season in your life where that isn't a problem— but to say, to, to, to use the first sentences in your mind of saying, well, no, we're not, that's not us. Well, you're not being sensitive towards the prevalence of adultery. We need to instead say, I know this is everywhere. And how do I begin framing my mind and my thoughts?
1: biblically about dealing with this in my church family. Well, this leads to my next question is how does seeing sexual sin from God's perspective, AKA reality, help us grow in our sensitivity towards sexual sin? It is first by
0: not, uh, measuring sexual sin from your own perspective and your own thoughts about sexual sin Or the perspective necessarily of others first and foremost, it's by looking at sexual sin the way that God sees sexual sin. For instance, this is a really good text that does that when in our own worlds we're like, well, I didn't actually, I didn't have sex with somebody who was married, uh, so I did not commit adultery. Well, okay. That is the way that you would view it in a very uh, simplistic way that actually takes away from the heart of what God is saying when He says, "Don't commit adultery." When I look at it at God's perspective, He's saying, "No, no, no. This is a heart problem." So when I look at it the way Jesus does, and He says, "No, if you've looked at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart." I recognize, oh man, Jesus has a whole different like level of this, tr- and, and it's not a whole different level, like different than Scripture, but He's He's illuminating Scripture. In what it actually means. And we're saying, oh man, I've got to look at things the way God looks at things and not the way I look at things. Often we look at things at how they impact us and impact others. The problem with that is uh, we often don't have an accurate view of, of, the, of what something really is or what something really does, but God does have a perfect view. And so when we look at things the way that God sees things, then we start recognizing, does God want you to look at lustful images Uh, Does he want you to be thinking about other people as a Christian? Are those things appropriate? And uh, then we start thinking about things like, uh, that I even said in the Life Group Leader podcast, which I wish I could articulate it as well, but I can't really remember it as well, but this idea that, you know, if you have lustful thoughts in your mind and you're acting them out in your mind, uh, even though you didn't actually physically commit adultery, did you still sin in God's perspective?
1: Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: However, no one knows that outside of you. Now, looking at that from God's perspective, you recognize, oh, man, I need to be more sensitive. Because even though other people don't know, and and no, and even though other people can't see that, God sees that wickedness of how pervasive sin is. So when I start looking at things from God's perspective, how he sees and knows everything, he sees all of the nuances of the prevalence of sexual sin in our world and our culture. So when I start looking at things like God looks at things, you know, and even if I, if there's a billboard and maybe there's not anything directly, like maybe there's not uh, a person who does not wear any clothes on that board, but, it's, but the messaging comes across, like I saw at a coffee shop recently, uh, uh, the phrase on it was like, it wasn't necessarily outright sexual, but it was trying to evoke a sexual image in your mind and you're like that's that's sexual sin like that's that that right there was a pervasive way to create an innuendo that God does not honor which is sinful for them to do that right and that is that, that helps us grow in our sensitivity towards sexual sin uh, and I, I was honoring to the Lord
1: I, and absolutely and so if we focus focus on how do I honor the Lord? We can really address a lot of the situations. Yeah, where we got to look at it. I like,
0: think number four at our church. We have a high view of God. Mm-hmm. If we look at things, always say, "What does God say about this?" Not what do I say about this? What does my friend say about this? What does
1: the world say about this? I got to ask, "What does God say about this?" Absolutely. And what we need to do is point number two: trust in Christ as your only solution for purity. So you know, Pastor Hayden, how do I focus on my heart change while I combat the external actions? And this is for a Christian. Mm-hmm. A Non-Christian, they need a new heart, right? Mm-hmm. That's Im- implied. So as a Christian, how do I focus on my heart change while I combat the external actions of sexual sin? Well, you're going to depend
0: on the heart change to create the external conformity to the heart, to the new heart. And this is why some people can confuse genuine sanctification with some type of legalism if they don't understand. Uh, what I'm going to do, I have a new heart. So that means what I put into action is going to produce fruit. Now the problem is is when we have unregenerate people who say they're Christians and we say do this, do this, do this, do this to fight your sin and they do this, do this, and it doesn't work. And they sit there and like, this, this doesn't work. Well, it doesn't work for somebody that doesn't have a new heart. But for somebody who does have a new heart and empowered by the Holy Spirit, you know, saying, "Hey, there's a lot of things we can do to fight our sin because now we have a new heart." According to Ezekiel 36 that is going to produce in me a propensity to walk in God's ways and he's going to cause us to obey him. And so, I mean, there's this this really clear understanding of sanctification how do i focus on my heart change while i combat the external reactions i know that the heart changes causes me to obey him so i combat i do external things I, I conform my mind and my thoughts to the image of christ and i know since god changed my heart he is empowering me with his holy spirit to combat my sin so now i know whatever i put into practice is actually going to be profitable and fruitful for the, to the end of killing my sin and living for the
1: work for christ so then, why is trusting in Christ alone the true solution for my sexual sin? Well, it's, he's the solution for all of
0: our sin. And, you know, people say, well, he's, he died for all of our sin, not just sexual sin. But then why does Jesus talk about individual sins? It's important for us to recognize, and maybe I'm the only one who thinks about it this way. I highly doubt it. But we're like, well, why does, you know, we, we have to, if God is going to take sin by sin and describe it and, and talk to us about it, We've got to recognize that individual sins are important to God to address. We're not just saying, like, well, Christ died for all of our sins, so none of it, so it, it, one sin isn't worse than the other." It's like, well, in a really, in a very real way, sins are different from one another. Maybe not in the way that they condemn you before God, although we can talk about that too, because there are some that would, uh, like Hitler, is going to be uh, going to receive a lot more wrath than Grandma who didn't who didn't uh, come to Christ. Why? Because his sin was more egregious in a lot of ways, although they will both stand condemned. That being said, uh, why is trusting in Christ alone the true solution for my sexual sin? To recognize that trusting in Christ for salvation also does impact the sexuality of a person and the way that we combat our sexual sin. Like, I didn't turn from Christ and place my trust—or turn from sin and place my trust in Christ to free me from sexual sin. That's not—I mean, there are some people who have. There's some people who said, I— I, this is, I am so caught in sexual sin that it helped me understand that my whole life is this way. Well, even though I, that wasn't the topic that moved me to salvation in my life, other things were. It is still something that impacted, that salvation impacted the way that I combat those sins. Yeah,
1: In this, in this fight, it can be... Exhausting. It's difficult. Maybe some listening are just feeling completely discouraged, even as Christians, mm-hmm. about having any hope. Well, why should they have hope in Christ to conquer the pers- their personal sexual sin? Yeah, James is it James, right? That uh, says, uh,
0: "Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world." My great grandmother used to say that to me all the time. Before I was a Christian, and I'm like, "What in the world does she mean by this?" And it, it really is a kind of text that uh, moves us to recognize why do I have hope that I can conquer the personal sexual sin in my life? Well, greater is He who is in me than He who is in the world. This reality that you are empowered by Christ. This is why I don't, I don't allow, I don't allow this, w- this bad theology of like we're all just gonna sin and we're all just gonna we're all just gonna lose until Christ comes and gets us it's like I don't believe in this progressive perfectionism like we're gonna somehow become per- perfect on this side of eternity but we are gonna sin less we'll never be sinless but we will sin less as we grow and so I'm not saying you're gonna bat a thousand but I'm saying that mature Christians can bat six seven eight hundred. And that's, that's something that I'm confident I think scripture makes it clear that we can be confident in this. And then when we do fail the minority amount of time, we repent and we walk forward. And so the hope is like, man, you have the third person of the triune Godhead that lives inside of you. Greater is he who is in thee than he who is in the world. Yeah, you should have great hope that you can conquer the sin in your life. And it's 1 John First 1 John, 4.
1: not James. 1 John. It is a J. J word. Yeah, it's J. And at the end of the Bible. There you go. All right. So then, uh, point number three: We should employ extreme measures to deal with lust, knowing that there's hope. We're not just doing this just to do it. No, then do, we're doing this because there's hope. So why are extreme measures effective when dealing, especially with sexual sin? Well, extreme problems need extreme solutions.
0: I didn't come up with that. Somebody else did. But I mean, there's your problem. I mean, if you got a lion in the house, you don't. You just don't go over there and kick it. You know, it's like, you can't do, it's not going to work. And a lot of people, they struggle with their sexual sins because they go kick it. You know, you know, you got to go kill it. Like, you have to get rid of it. And many people just haven't employed measures extreme enough to deal with what they're dealing with. And and then they equate that with either I fail, and there are some people who say maybe I'm not saved because of that. And then you just really lose all this assurance that, no, you're just not you're not even like employing measures. Or you have these people who say, well, I guess Christianity doesn't mean I have any real ability to overcome sin, which is, that's also wrong. There's another option, isn't there? Absolutely another option. You, empowered by the Holy Spirit, given the new heart that you have in Christ Jesus, can now employ extreme measures with the expectation that they will be fruitful. There's your other option, that we have to say that 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 sounds like a much more biblical, much more helpful option. Because if that isn't, and then this is, you know, as you're listening to this church, if that isn't the solution that we do kill our sin, put it to death, and, and and if that isn't it, then why does all of the New Testament epistles spend so much time talking about killing your sin? It seems to me weird that Paul and Peter and James and John, uh, all of them, would talk so much. Put to death about killing your sin if if that had nothing to do with what Jesus wanted us to do. Well, then why are all the epistles and letters telling us to kill sin? Jesus did that. What are we talking about? Well, they're talking about sanctification—that you have a part, a synergistic part to play in killing your sin through the power of the Holy Spirit.
1: Yeah, and he says, like you said, just extreme measures help because yeah, this is such an extreme thing. And this is why you hear about people saying, you know, like guys like Billy Graham saying, I don't dine out with a woman that is not my, my wife or family member. Right. Why? Cause he doesn't want to give any opportunity to the, de- for the devil right. to build anything. And so like you, I think you said before in the, or in the life group leader podcast, we, we will be different and we will be weird to the world because they are celebrating sexual sin, um, publicly and that's just not you know that's just addressing the whole pride month we're going through right i'm talking about just sexual sin outside the confines of marriage Mm -hmm. and most entertainment and most books and most shows there's always something that's a forbidden love that's why it's always called a forbidden love and i wouldn't put it past it where most romantic movies usually there's a love triangle where one's in, in a relationship and the two lovebirds are not in that relationship. Well,
0: and on top of that, they're almost all outside of marriage anyway. Yes. Which is why it's like, and that's why, you know, especially gals, you know, with your rom-coms and your in your and your romance movies and novels, it's like, you, like, and here's one thing. Number one, just trust us and say, you know what, that's right. And out of your own experience and memory, that is right. I shouldn't be watching these. Secondarily, if you're like, well, I don't believe you. Well, I want this to be in your mind. Go as you're watching them, and I'm not telling you to watch them, but if you're doing it, watch them and say, Hey, this is an adulterous relationship, adulterous relationship, adulterous relationship. And it's like, How is it like, when when is it enough for us to say, for you to say, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to say, Yeah, you're right, I should not be, I must not make my eyes, because uh, I mean, I must not make my eyes privy to things that God abhors. Because even Matthew 6, Jesus says, The eye is a lamp to the body, if the eyes is pure, than the whole body is pure. Mm-hmm. I mean, your eyes are so important to the purity of your heart and your life. Uh, but you know, the whole point, even in, in this section, is to think that even Jesus is saying that living in a suboptimal way is better than having all of your faculties and spending eternity in hell. And you're like, well, I'm a Christian, I'm not living in hell. But okay, then what we're saying is, and what we believe to be true is, okay, then you're not going to be living in sin if you're saved. we we got to say this over and over again. And we gotta say, well, it doesn't now mean because you're saved you can live however you want. We're gonna say if you're if you're living for the Lord, there's a lot of ways you're gonna be living suboptimal according to the world. I mean you I mean th- me and you, PE, I mean think about like them you know, we give financially back to the church. If we kept all the money that we give back in our giving to the Lord, we uh, would be living in a more optimal way according to the world. You know, I think of my personal giving and I know you too, but I'm just gonna use me to simplify the our conversation. It's like I could do a lot more in my life and in our family, if I kept all my money to myself every month and not obey scripture. So I am therefore in a very rare way living in a suboptimal way according to the world by obeying scripture. Now this works in our in the sexual realities too, and especially with my lust and my, adult, my adultery. I may decide, or if someone may decide, that they're not gonna have internet in their house because they recognize the internet opens up too wide of a portal for them to endeavor In searching for things that they ought not to, looking at pornographic websites and images, so they're going to live in a suboptimal way at home because they don't have internet. Is that suboptimal? It is. It very much is. But it's better than living in sin. And if you're a Christian, you're going to say Amen to that. Like if you're not a Christian, you're going to wonder, Yeah, that's that's not. I don't want to do that. Why? Because you're more you're more concerned with living in an optimal way here than. Uh, than obeying and submitting to the authority of Christ, and I, I want to give so much love and grace here because I know we're all going to sin, but that doesn't give us the freedom and the license to not uh, eradicate and employ extreme measures just because we know we're going to. It's like, I mean, there are there people who will drown this year, right? There are people who will drown this year all around the world, and yet we still have all these life, uh, these life preserver and, and life vests. Uh, provisions put in place. Well, why do we do that? If we know people are going to drown anyway, (laughs) because we know that they're good and they preserve people in a way that is healthy and good for them. In the same way, when we employ extreme measures to deal with lust, we know we're doing what would honor the Lord primarily. And then secondarily, what is also fruitful and good for us in our homes. And to kind of build
1: off that last part right there, you just said how, If we live suboptimally, according to the world, what we will experience is actually true harmony. It's something that honors God primarily, but within our home, when we actually live in a way that pleases the Lord, it's suboptimal to the outside's eyes, but really it's actually optimal for my growth in Christ, to live in a harmonious way that reflects the Trinity as the Father, Son, and Spirit are in perfect harmony with one another. If I live in a way that pleases God, my relationship with my spouse, my children, my neighbors will be actually more harmonious and actually more desirous than giving in to a fleeting moment of self-indulgence pleasure right.
0: and you know the text i didn't even get into that I'm, i wish i could have put in my sermon and I, and I there was actually like 30 of them that i uh yeah that's me out just list them off the yeah sermon. it was telling totally, me but yeah i know proverbs six thirty two to 33 he who commits adultery lacks sense he who does it destroys himself he will get wounds and dishonor and disgrace will not be wiped away there's one of them and then the other one on top of that was do it was uh uh, let's, can a man carry a fire next to his chest and his clothes and not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet and not be scorched? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. It's like, in, like what you're saying. In very real ways, do you think good things are going to happen out of this? I mean, do we think that following, falling into the lust of our flesh and the propensity for us to do things that would dishonor the Lord and our families are going to go unpunished either societally or the discipline of the Lord? Like, it's absolutely going to wreck your whole world, which is why Christ had done, went to such great lengths to save us from our sin, not only because of the societal realities, which is sub- subsidiary to the fact that we are at wrath with God, and even the societal consequences for our sin should be ample enough evidence that God is going to give grave consequences for adulterers and sexually immoral that Paul says will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And I, I want to get bring all that back to... What we're talking about is this, this is why extreme measures are necessary in, in dealing with our sin. And so some some practical tools as, as we wrap up is to just say, you know, I'm going to give some for guys and some for gals, although a lot of them can overlap. It's like, guys, if screens are killing you and screens are the thing that can keep you from living for the Lord, get away from your screens. You don't need an iPhone. You don't need a laptop at home. You don't need a tablet or an iPad Keep it at work, you know. Have software like Covenant Eyes that we talked about, you know. Like make sure that you are. You don't have to have streaming at home. You don't have to have Netflix and Amazon Prime and Zulu and, uh, I mean, uh, Peacock and Hulu, what whatever all those are. I mean, all of those different things. You don't have to have that. Now, gals, think about it this way: romantic novels, romantic movies, that most of which give sexually explicit material that uh, does uh, stimulate your mind and your thoughts. Uh, secondly, the music you listen to. And and I, this is something I hear all the time. I'm just going to do it because I want to do it. I'm like, that, see, this is the problem of the heart. You're going to do something because God wants you to do it because God loves you and you say that you love God. I mean, what, when you're listening to a song, does that lyric honor the Lord? And this is something me and my wife get convicted at because, you know, we like— you know, secular music in the context of like we don't just listen to Christian music in the car twenty four seven. The country, yeah, I like country music, but you know what's terrible about a lot of country music? It's all, almost always talking about adultery, and it's like, okay, well, we got to turn that off. It's like if you will literally say, you know what, I'm not even going, I'm not going to deal with this because God doesn't deal with this. I mean, other than dealing with it by taking it away from us, I'm not going to indulge in things that God sees as abhorrent. And just say, I'm not going to go to concerts where people are, where I know that not only people are living in adultery, but they're singing about it and they're performing it and they're speaking about it. Because even uh, Paul says, these things ought not to be named among you, but yet we're involving ourselves in tons of places where not only it's named among us, but it's celebrated among them. And this a problem the, Corinth- the Corinthian church had was the pervasiveness of sexuality. And we see how scripture uh, deals with the, issues of the corinthian church of how you know the many of them were having such problems uh and and paul gave such extreme counsel to them of of, you know get rid of the sexually anymore have nothing to do with them cast them out from among you and all i'm saying is i'm not trying to cast anyone out of the church all i'm saying is man, that's how serious we need to take these realities uh, in our in our lives and in our church and we got to employ practical
1: tools and measures to effectively deal with these realities. All right. Well, Pastor Hayden, we have a few resources that would be of benefit. I was one of the resources that you've read. I've read Finally Free by Heath Lambert. I think it's good. I mean, particularly for men, I know that's a good one. Uh, but you had read a couple that you thought were helpful as well. Finally Free is fantastic. Well, another one is More Than a Battle by Joe Rigney. That is a great. Uh, practical, uh, book. And even, uh, ladies, you can even read that to understand what men are, the, the men are going to say, hey, I, this is what I want to be doing. So, More Than a Battle by Joe Rigney. And then both gals and guys, uh, a great book written by a, cr- a Christian doctor and his wife is intended for pleasure. And so it's not just combating, just, it's not just removing the sin. It's like we said in the 9 a.m., it's replacing it with righteousness. And so, intended for pleasure is a great book to help replace bad thinking with biblical thinking, right thinking about sex. Good. And so we have some announcements. Absolutely. Our men's and women's events are coming
0: up in the next uh, couple of weeks, June 24th, 9 a.m. on Saturday is our women's breakfast, where you ladies will be in the book of James. Encourage all of you to invite your uh, friends to that event, as well as showing up with you in your life group. Uh, My wife has been working hard to exposit the word to you, and I encourage you to be there. I know you will be encouraged and exhorted. Men, we have our fellowship at Hollywood's on Saturday, July 8th, 11 a.m. Yeah. to 2 p.m. It's going to be a wonderful opportunity for a extended amount of fellowship and, and recreation, lunch. and there will be lunch. Summer kids' camps registrations are still open for art and science camp. You can go online to find out more there, as well as our student revival. Uh, the Kingdom of Heaven is J- July 27th through July the 30th, where they will be staying around our community, and host homes as they learn about the kingdom of heaven, what it is, who's going to be there, and how we live in light of the kingdom of heaven. Registration's open for that. You can find out well,
1: more at org slash students. And then one thing on the woman's breakfast, just so you know, ladies, it's the, the men are going to be cooking for you. Oh, the brisket oh, nice. tacos. Well, men are going to be cooking for the women. How... Wonderful. So I know you guys are looking forward to that. Love that. Baptism service is in
0: July. Uh, registration is closed for that because it's full, but our next baptism service the next month in August is open for registration, which it's about a little over half full. And so so sign up. Sign up, or this one will fill up. If, if
1: this applies to you, by the way. just
0: af- af- oh, yeah, Not everybody. Only people who need to be baptized by immersion who haven't been, who have either recently been saved or never followed through in believers' baptism. Go ahead and sign up for the next baptism service, August the 27th. All right, Compass, we're grateful for you. We're praying for you uh, in, in our own battle against sin and powered by the Holy Spirit that we would be faithful, um, and we look forward to all the great conversations that's going to happen in this week's life groups. We're praying for you, and we look forward to seeing you